Hi, my name is Twyla, and I want to welcome you to Lifeline Community Church's Sermon Podcast. We're a church committed to inspiring people to follow Jesus further. We believe that everything in Scripture points towards Jesus, and no matter where you are in life, we believe everyone can find Him. When we do find Him, He leads us to a life that thrives. I hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Take care. So today marks the last sermon in the series of the Ten Commandments, and we've been looking into and dissecting what the Ten Commandments actually were. Um, was God just a strict and legalistic God that gave us a set of rules? Um, or did he give us these guidelines, these commandments, as a way to give us a quality-filled life that ultimately brings us closer to him? And the commandment we're going to be looking at today um, is found in Exodus, and it's, you shall not give false witness false testimony against your neighbors. Some translations um, translate testimony as witness, and so that's what we're going to be referring it to as. So do not lie. Pretty self-explanatory. But what does that actually mean? And more importantly, what did that mean to the Israelites who were receiving this, and how can we apply that um, to us today? Um, and, And right off the bat, we can tend to think of lying as not really that big of a deal. I know I do. We all have lied. Everyone does it. Movies and shows portray uh, lying as something that's normal, and, and it's not only normal, but it's funny. You know, it teaches, it shows little kids lying to their parents and lying about schoolwork and lying about things that they were doing, watching or reading, and it's, it's funny. It's okay, everyone lies, right? It's no big deal. It's harmless. Imagine if we championed this attitude with the other commandments. What would that look like? We talk about lying in a way that we would never talk about the other nine commandments. It's just a white lie. It's just a little lie. It's harmless. Everyone does it. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay, let's, let's put some of the other commandments in there. It was just a little murder. Just a white murder. That sounds racist. <laughs> it was just a little adultery. I only cheated that one time. It's not a big deal. A little idolatry, who cares? A, a little stealing? It's not that big of a deal. You're not going to miss your air compressor anyway. Who needs rims on their vehicle? It's just a little stealing. It's not that big of a deal. Bearing false witness and lying against your neighbor is a problem. And it's just as big of a deal as the other nine. A lie was one of the first sins ever recorded in the Bible. The Bible refers to Satan as the father of lies. He tempted Adam and Eve with the fruit. He said, you know what, don't worry about it. God don't know what he's talking about. You eat this, you will become like God. You will know all the things. It's not a big deal. A lie was the gateway to all the sin and evil that is in the world today. God hates Lying. A lie corrupted, corrupted his perfect world in an instant. Just like that. Solomon says this, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a, fa- a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I think we know some people that stir up conflict in the community through their gossip. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. He refers to the seven things that are detestable to him. Three of those talk about deception and lying. Three of those things that the Lord finds detestable are, have to do with deception. So what did bearing false witness mean to the Israelites? So it's great, you know, it's an Old Testament commandment. He gave it to them back in the day. How can we um, 
not really translate. How can we see how um, the Israelites viewed that in today's day and age? So if you'll bear with me for a little bit, we're going to read um, some verses and we're going to kind of set the stage to what it actually meant back then to be a false witness. So Deuteronomy 17, um, do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. If a man or woman living among you in, in the towns the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God in violation of his covenant and contrary to my command has worshiped other gods, bowing down to them or the sun or the moon or the stars in the sky, and this has been brought to your attention, then you must investigate it thoroughly. If it is true and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. So this was a really big deal. There was no security cameras. There was no shot on by iPhone. There was no CIA Los Angeles or Miami or however many of those are. There's, it seems like there's tons of them. You see them all the time. There's no, there was none of that. There was a man in his word. And if, you didn't have, if your word meant nothing, you had nothing. Because back in those days, if a witness was found out to be lying and untrustworthy, they would undergo the punishment of whoever it was that they were testifying against. Basically, if you were willing to lie to someone or lie in court about something that someone did and they were going to be killed if found out, you were going to undergo that punishment. You would be put to death. Literally a life and death situation. Read Deuteronomy 19 sometime. Um, there's a lot that's going on there and we're not going to read it, but it shows what God thought of people who were false witnesses and what was to be done to them. And um, spoiler, it was no different than what was to be done to people who murdered and cheated and committed adultery. Same exact thing. John 8 is a, a very well-known story, and it's when Jesus is approached by the Pharisees who have, who have a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Um, and if you read the story, you know that the Pharisees, they were trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus, you know, like he always did, you know, knew it. Um, but they said that according to the law of Moses, we are to stone this woman. We caught her, and we are the witnesses. Now we are to stone her. As, as he always did, Jesus, of course, he knew they were trying to trap him, and, and, um, and he picked up a stone, and I can just kind of picture Jesus, you know, there's a perfect stone right there, and he's kind of throwing it up, and he's just, you know, very a visual. This is what was going to take this woman's life if they went through with this. And he tells them, okay, you who have not sinned, you cast the first stone. And I, what I didn't read in Deuteronomy 17 was the last verse, verse 7, and it says this, the hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death. And then the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. The Pharisees knew that they had sinned. They knew good and well that they had sinned. And that if they were caught lying, they were the witnesses witnessing against this woman. Well, it was going to be them. So no wonder they dropped the stones, turned around and walked away. And that's how Jesus took care of that problem. But it's interesting to know why that was so important for him to say, you cast the first stone. They knew the law, and Jesus used the law to beat them at their own game. But how does this affect us today, and, and what does this look like in today's day and age? Um, the commandment recorded in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the, 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 it's recorded twice, and um, uh, it's typically understood as a command not to tell lies. Yet the power and the significance of this 
um, simple commandment reaches far beyond the admonition to, um, to tell the truth. Um, and the, the English translation of the ancient um, texts are generally rendered as same in saying, do not bear false witness. But the two texts are slightly different in their original wording. In Exodus, the word translated as false is, is a Hebrew word implying intentional falsification or deception, presumably for one's own gain, one's own selfish desires. So Exodus, intentional falsification or deception is for one's own gain. That's, that's a translation, that's what false meant in Exodus. So Deuteronomy was a little bit different. False is more correctly understood in terms of shallow or without power. It's the same word used in the commandment calling us not to make uh, wrongful use of God's name uh, or of God's name. We're not to take the Lord's name in vain. It's the same, it's the same um, word. And in some cases, um, it would have explicit intent, but in a lot of it, it was a sin of sheer ignorance. They just didn't know what they were talking about. I had no idea what that was. So here's the two right there. That's what they mean, the two difference. How it was, um, one is just straight up lying, straight up de- deception. Another one, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just spreading rumors. You have no idea what, what, what actually happened. They're gossiping. But the two subtle differences of the two renderings of the word illustrate, um, of the word false, illustrate a depth and meaning that just, it, it, it's more than just don't lie, more than bear false witness. There's more, and it's so cool how God uses these two different scenarios, these two different words, and these two different times in the Old Testament to point to a deeper meaning of what it means to bear false witness and what it means to lie. Proverbs 12 says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And how true is that? You know, as I was preparing for this sermon the past couple months, and really the past month, because I'm a procrastinator. Um, but, but you think about conversations that you have with, with people, and you think about how often it is that you talk about others, and how often it is that you spread gossip, how often that you really say things you don't know a whole lot about. And I want you to think about conversations that you've had this week, whether you've been a part of, or you've, you've witnessed, or you've heard someone talking about something they didn't fully understand or comprehend, yet we still feel the need to go on talking about and spreading lies, or even half-lies, if there is such a thing. Any time we cast condemnation on whole groups of people, be it religious or any other group, without knowing any more about them than what we've heard around the Sunday lunch table, we are breaking God's commandment. We love our drama. We love our scandals. We love to hear all the things I do. If you know me, you know, you know I do. I like to know all the things. I like to be in. As a kid, <laughs> my mom would call me Dumbo. Those are also some things I remember from my younger. But, but um, if you know uh, the, the kid's cartoon of Dumbo, it's a little elephant with huge ears, abnormally large ears. And she would call me that because I, I used to like hearing all the things. She said, I can't hardly say anything without you hearing about it. And I would you know, go down to the, the basement and leave the door cracked and just stand there and just listen to what her and mom were talking about. I loved it. And if I'm being honest, lying is something that I struggled with growing up as a kid. I like to know the things. I like to hear the things. I like to say the things. And I still do. I really do. I always thought that I could make a great um, thief or a con man. Um, Growing up, getting away with things didn't seem really that difficult. Um, And you might say, well, your parents just overlooked them. No, if you know Ben and Carmen Eaton, they didn't overlook a whole lot. 
Um, so I really do think I got away with them. But I've always been an overanalyzer. And um, in many cases, it gets me in trouble because I overthink things, I get in my own head, and you know, here we go. But if you're a con man, or if you're trying to get away with things, and I'm getting some looks like, who is this crazy guy we have up there talking about lying and getting away with things? Um, but it's good to think about things in this situation of trying to get away with things. I remember um, as a kid, you know, if, if we'd ever get cut off, you might say, from a special drink or something, you know, whether it was soda in the fridge or whatever it was, um, I used to go in there and I, I would open the fridge and I would study the bottle. I'd be like, all right, well, how's that thing sitting in there? What level is the liquids? Because, you know, a lot of them bottles, they have the wrappers around them. And if you wait till the liquid goes down below the wrapper, you can't really see what liquid or what level it's at anymore. And I would go in there and I was looking, okay, well, is the bottle touching the orange juice and which way is the wrapper faced? And then I would wait until someone has drank it down below the wrapper line. And then I'd go in there, I'd know exactly what I got to do to get away with it. No one would ever know. And that's how I was. I, I used to complain to mom. Like, you know, my school classmates are just kind of incompetent at getting away with things just because they don't think. If they would think, they'd be out at recess with me and not in detention in the principal's office. And that's just kind of how it was. But if we're not careful, isn't that how we can live our adult Christian lives? We're careful to cover up our tracks and do and say all the right things knowing good and well what's going on, what's really going on. This is bearing false witness to the life of a Christian. Imagine with me, if you're someone who's, you know, thinking about checking out this whole Christian thing. Oh, what's the life of a Christian really look? And they look in a congregation of people who are just kind of fake. They're just kind of putting on a show. They're just like, well, they're just going through the motions, right? They have the, the nice suburban with the fish sticker that says Jesus, John 3.16, and the the stick figures, you know, the man, the woman, the six kids, the dog, the cat, the fish, whatever else you got on there, the throat on there. Stanley Cup sitting in the cup holder. I actually did want one of those, and then my future sister-in-law told me it's not very manly, so I can't have one. Otherwise, I'd probably have it up here with me. Um, but we like our lives to look like an Instagram highlight reel, and we don't want people to see the ugly. That's why community is so important. That's why life groups are so important being transparent and honest about what we're going through not only strengthens what you're going through, but it strengthens those around you. Don't do it just for you. Do it for others who may be going through the exact same thing. The failure of Christians to live in the fullness of the ninth commandment is all around us, and you've experienced it more than you know. Bearing false witness does far more than distort and corrupt truth. It shatters peace. It erodes trust. It violates humanity. Statements we hear often in the church are like, uh, all Muslims are murderers. All Catholics are idol worshipers. All Protestants are lost. All summer lovers are crazy, right? These are all things we hear. And here's one the world loves to say about Christians, professing Christians. All Christians are judgmental. We've all heard that one. And that kind of makes me angry because it's like, no, I'm not judgmental. You just got it all wrong right there. I mean, <laughs> point proven. How quick we are to do the exact same thing to others that they do to us just because we don't agree with them or we have a different worldview than they do. Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear that family lets their kids watch that? Well, we love our gossip. We love to tell all the things around the Sunday lunch table. I've heard many things around the Sunday lunch table. Those two are fighting again. Well, he told her she can go fill in the blank. They let their family do that? Are you serious? 
He wears shorts to church. There must be something wrong with him. Paul talks about bearing false witness in Ephesians. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Paul's telling the church, quit talking about each other. If you want to talk to someone, go to them directly. Do not stoop to spreading lies and slander about them when you don't even know them. You have no idea what is actually going on, and yet we use that Exodus version. We have no idea. It's shallow. It's powerless. It's without meaning. It does nothing but rot the bones of relationships and trust. And in the age of social media, how easy is that to do? You see something on Facebook that you agree with, but you really have no idea if there's anything behind it, so reposted, liked, shared, commented, whatever it is. Fox posted this, CNN posted that about this person, share. It must be true because they posted it. We are called to speak the truth and love. Paul says this again in Ephesians. But walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Solomon had a few things to say about people who spread lies and slander others. Proverbs, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. A false witness will perish, but a careful listener will testify successfully. What a blessing it is to have a friend who's a careful listener, who you know it won't go any further than what you've told them. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause. Would you use your lips to mislead? And this last one, we should probably all go ahead and underline it. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Solomon went off on people who lied and talked. I could have put so many more verses up here. Just go read through Proverbs and see how many times he talks about people who lie or really any kind of deceit. And if you think about it, it's kind of an interesting, it it made me think about why he talks about it so much. And Junior, um, he talked about uh, Solomon's parents last week, David and Bathsheba. Um, And if you know the story from um, when he was talking about it, David had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who was one of David's mighty men, killed in battle because he wanted Bathsheba. He had cheated with her. And so I just think, you know, sometimes Solomon growing up, you know, in the palace, servants are like, you know, bringing him his grapes and be like, you know, they come back and they're just like, isn't that, that's Solomon. His mom is Bathsheba. Bathsheba was, and then you just start and just think about, put yourself in that situation. Knowing that story and all the things that could have been talking about. They could have been talking about him. I'm sure he grew up as a kid thinking, you know, servants not thinking he can hear. But he always knew. He knew who his mom and daddy, he knew who his mom was. What his dad did to get his mom. Makes you think. So speaking of David. um, David's not necessarily, necessarily someone we would automatically look to when it comes to an example of not slandering or speaking ill of others. We know him more as a mighty man. He killed Goliath, you know, went and killed 200 Philistines as a bride price for his crazy father-in-law, Saul. Um, He's a man's man, right? But he was also a man who refused to speak ill of Saul in a certain stage of his life. And I didn't even plan on using this, but I was just reading the story. I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Um, and so the story is found in 1 Samuel, and, and he was a young man, killed Goliath, did all these things. Saul um, had disobeyed God, so uh, David was to be the next king um, of Israel. 
And so first, Saul, first Samuel is Saul chasing David around a lot in the wilderness, trying to kill him because he knows he's to be the next king. And then we turn to 2 Samuel and we find that Saul has died and David is now anointed king. And, and David, um, after everything he had been through with Saul, years of running, years of being treated like a dog, hunted like a dog, David, um, uh, Saul has died in battle with the Philistines, him and his son Saul, uh, Jonathan. And David takes up a lament for, them, for Saul and Jonathan. And basically a lament is just a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And so he, one of his first acts as new king is he has his whole kingdom learn this lament. And we're not going to read the whole thing, um, but I did want to point out how he talked about a man that did nothing more than, than hate him and try and kill him. And I want you to listen to this um, in the mindset of you don't know what their relationship is. You don't know the bad, bad blood. How would you think that they um, viewed each other? So 2 Samuel 1, verse 22. And again, this is just a little a section of it. Um, but it says this, from the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughter, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorn your garments with ornaments of gold. When I die, just so y'all know, that's how I want my eulogy to look like. It, it, it's so cool, especially for someone, I mean, you had no idea that he hated, that this man that he was talking about hated David. Um, but he was strong, he was swift. You know, if you're talking about me, strong, swift, healthy ACLs, could run a straight line without falling over because his knee's going out, like, you know? Um, but what a tribute to a man that hated him. Verse 22, he's telling um, of Saul's bravery and fierceness in battle. 23, he's telling of how people loved and admired them and their strength. In verse 24, he's reminding Israel of all the things they had because of Saul, all the things Saul had done for them. And I believe David meant what he was saying because it was his attitude, it was his heart. He was so grateful to God for what he had been given and what God had brought him through that it was his natural instinct to speak life and praises, not to tear Saul down. And he's telling the women, write a new song, when David was a young man and, and uh, one of Saul's top generals, um, the, late, the women would sing you know, on their way back into the city, Saul has killed, slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And he's telling the women, sing a new song, make a new one. Talk about all the things that Saul did. Leave me out of it. Recognize Saul. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorn your garments with ornaments of gold. He's reminding them of Saul's good qualities and achievements, not pointing out his many flaws. That were true. And he was taking over a new kingdom. It seems like the smart play would have been to smear Saul's reputation. That's what we see today. I mean, some new president or whoever it is gets in there, and the first thing they start doing is bashing people, because Saul probably had some people that were still loyal to him. He was take, David was taking over his kingdom, and so there were probably still people like, who's this David guy? Like, we miss Saul. Saul was one of the good ones. So it probably would have been a good idea to name off all the things that Saul did, to bring up all these things that Saul had put him through, but he didn't. He chose love and respect instead of slander and hatred. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm not so nice when it comes to people that I don't like, just to be honest, or that have done me wrong. I can t tend to try and find any excuse that I can to talk negatively about someone when they have hurt me. It's natural. 
as a society, breaking down and hurting others seems to be the go-to when it comes to dealing with people we don't agree with or simply have a different worldview. It's a me-centered culture. It's a cancel culture. We destroy the image of others thinking that it will build ours. Solomon says this in Proverbs, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who eat it and those who love it will eat its fruit. Um, a close friend of mine once said this and it is, it is stuck with me for ever, really. Um, but putting out someone else's light doesn't make mine shine any brighter. And that's something that I've, I've thought of so many times in dealing whether it's people at work or people in church or people in the community, whatever it is. I'd always try and remember that. It boils down to a heart issue. And if you're at a stage of life where um, you're angry and you're bitter, chances are the way you see people will reflect that. Chances are the way you talk about people will reflect that. But if you're in a, a grateful stage of life where all you can do is just be like, you know what, God, thank you so much for what you've done for me. Thank you so much for what I'm at. I know I used to be this way but now you've brought me here and I am so grateful. It makes it hard. It makes it more difficult to talk bad about someone than to speak truth and life to them. James, the brother of Jesus, he puts it this way. With tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same springs? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring, spring produce fresh water. So my challenge to you today is to take the ninth commandment seriously. Bearing false witness against someone is as serious as any other commandment. It's not just a small white lie. It's not some harmless gossip that won't affect anyone. It's serious, it's hurtful, and we are called to be better. So I would just ask you, where is your heart? Are you, in a heart? are you in a place of gratefulness where all you can do is see the good in others? Where you, you choose on a daily basis to thank God for what he's done and to praise God for where you're at in your life? Or you're just kind of bitter. You're kind of angry. First thing you hear about someone, you pass it on just because it makes you feel better. Well, I'm going to speak this about someone because maybe that'll make me feel a little less bad about it. Where are we at? It's a me-centered culture. Let's make it about others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for um, this morning you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. God, I pray that we would not only um, um, praise you in the good times, but God, praise you in the bad and look to you, God, for direction. Remember that we are all the same and that um, we are called to speak truth and love and to love others as you've loved us, and to give others as much grace as you've given us. We thank you so much. We praise your name for all you've done. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.